Well, at least as driving, as far as driving is concerned, the human race seems to fall into one of two parts. Those who drive into a parking space and those who reverse into a parking space. Now, it may be just habit, but um, most people generally seem to fall into one of either category. And it's the same with the way people face life. They're either looking forward and anticipating all that lies in the future, or they're looking back and thinking about what's gone before. It's very easy, isn't it, to see that Christians shouldn't be always thinking about what they were before they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, it's easy to understand how some people find the future very threatening. Now, last week, we were thinking about how we cope with anxiety. And if you remember in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, there's a wonderfully compact um, strategy of how to deal with anxiety. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. What I want to think about this morning is akin to that, but subtly different. How do we face the future? Because you see, for a whole number of people, the future may seem really very threatening indeed. Now, I was taught that all the good sermons have three points, usually beginning with the same letter of the alphabet, and uh, they have an introduction and a conclusion. Well, I'm sorry, friends, there are only two points this morning, only two, and we don't have any alliteration. They don't begin with the same letter. But um, as someone once said, uh, teaching about preaching, he said, first you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. So that's really good advice. And what we're going to think about this morning is, first of all, it's fascinating to look into the future, but the, the only day that really matters is today. The only day that really matters is today. Psalm 95 is a wonderful psalm. I use it in my quiet time just to get me into uh, the place where I want to be with God because it begins with praise. Come, ring out your joy to the Lord. Hail the God who saves us. Let us come before him giving thanks. With songs let us hail the Lord. A mighty God is the Lord, a great king above all gods. And it goes on like that. But it subtly changes at the end of the psalm. And it says this, it says, Today, verse 7, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at that day at Massa in the desert when your fathers tested me and tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was wearied of this generation, and I said, their hearts are astray, these people do not know my ways, therefore I took an oath in my anger, never shall they enter my rest. Now what's all that about? Well, we have to go back to the book of Numbers for that incident, a very significant in incident in the history of Israel. They'd been released from slavery in Egypt, okay, but Moses had brought them into the desert, and the desert was a very hostile place. And some of them began to wish that they were back in Egypt, because in Egypt there were figs and pomegranates and cucumbers, and most of all, there was water. Where is the water that we need to keep ourselves alive? 
And the people grumbled and moaned, and Moses didn't know what to do, so he went into the tabernacle, the portable place of worship, and he just threw himself down. What am I going to do, Lord? These people are grumbling against me, and they're grumbling against you. What am I going to do? And God said, okay, don't worry. I will take you to a particular place, to a particular rock, and I want you in the presence of all the people to speak to the rock, and water will come, and the people will quench their thirst. Well, Moses not only was at his wit's end, he was angry. He was angry with the people for moaning, not only at him, but at God. And so when they got to this particular place, instead of just speaking to the rock, he struck it with his staff, and the water came out. Oh, yes, there was no problem about that, but he hadn't honored God in the place, in the face of the people. And in Verse 12 of Numbers 20, God said, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. Now, that was a harsh punishment. It was a tragedy. The people had really sinned very grievously against God. They hadn't trusted him enough. And... This hung like a kind of pall of regret over the nation for centuries. For 40 years, I was wearied of this generation and I said, their hearts are astray. These people do not know my ways. Then I took an oath in my anger. Never shall they enter my rest. Now, there seem to be two people speaking here. One is the psalmist urging us to listen to God's voice. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And God seems to be saying, you haven't listened to me at all. And I find that somewhat confusing. But the confusion doesn't have to last, because if we look at the psalm, what God's word is saying here is quite simply, today is the only day that really matters. You may have disobeyed in the past. Don't worry about the past, it's gone. Today is the only day that really matters. Listen to God's voice today. Now, what is God saying to us today? Well, so many of us listen to the voice of guilt, don't we, instead of listening to the voice of God. Are there things that you regret in your past? Are there Ways in which you wish you hadn't behaved or had behaved differently. Perhaps you wish you'd spent more time with your children. Well, maybe we all feel like that. There are things that we look into the past and wish we could change. Well, we can't change the past, but the past can be forgiven. This is a word for you if you're feeling guilty this morning, if you're listening to the voice of guilt Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And then we listen to the voice of resentment, don't we? We hold on to hurts like cherished prized possessions. Rick Warren, in The Purpose Driven Life, says this. Resentment always hurts you more than the person you resent While your offender has probably forgotten the offense and got on with life, you continue to stew in your pain, perpetuating the past. That's crazy, isn't it? 
to do that. But we do it. Why don't we listen to God's voice today? Psalm, sorry, Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And then we listen to the voice of fear. Oh, fear is one of the devil's most characteristic and effective weapons. Someone once put it like this. There was a Christian whom the devil and his spiritual commanders were determined to target and destroy. That they had tried to tempt him in all kinds of ways and they were having a a satanic council meeting about this. And they seemed to be stumped. How could they attack this man? And then one of them said, Master, I know how to target him. I know how to undermine him. Let me tempt him. And the devil looked at him and said, Have your way, fear. Do your worst. The spirit of fear. The spirit of fear comes to us as we contemplate the future. Dear friends, you remember the old hymn, I do not know what lies ahead the way I cannot see. I know who holds the future and he'll guide me with his hand. With God things don't just happen, everything by him is planned. And as we face tomorrow with its problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles. Give to him my all. When we were listening to that testimony about inviting people to the mission, I dare say you sympathized with the man who made the invitation and then felt embarrassed. You do feel embarrassed, don't you, when somebody says no. And that's perhaps the threshold that we have to cross, the threshold of embarrassment. He didn't understand that God had the future in his hands, an incredible future, a future no one could possibly predict. Who would, who would think that an unbeliever would invite somebody else to an Alpha course and that invitation would be accepted? It's not the usual way God does things, but God doesn't do things in usual ways. He has unusual and wonderful ways of doing things, and we have to trust him for that. Don't worry, says Jesus. We heard that last week. We have to leave the future in his hands because we've got to listen to his voice today. And today he is saying, I'm with you. I won't let you down. So today is the only day that really matters. And the second point I want to bring to you is this. The future God has in store for us is so incredibly wonderful that there aren't words sufficient to describe it. So if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, I'm not quite sure what page it is in the church Bibles. 1145. Thank you. Thank you, Janet. 1145. We'll just quickly go through this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is quoting Isaiah 64 verse 4 um, in verse 9. 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Actually, the original in Isaiah 64.4 is slightly different. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now, that was part of the final word that the prophet was giving to the exiles in Babylon to assure them that one day they would return to their homeland. They were there in exile. And you know what it's like when you long to be at home, when you feel just that you don't belong anywhere and you just want to go home. Lord, I want to go home. Take me home. That's how they felt. And as far as they were concerned, there seemed to be no prospect of them ever going home. And so the prophet comes and says, since ancient times, no one has seen has heard, sorry, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. God has your future in his hands, says the prophet. At the beginning of that section, Paul is reminding his readers that when he came to them, he didn't make a very good impression. He says in verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. That's how every minister feels when they preach with a view. Did you know that? (laughs) I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. He didn't display great rhetorical eloquence. He relied instead on the power of God's spirit so that, as he says in verse 5, your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And you see, we need the power of the Holy Spirit both to understand and to live the gospel. Without him, it doesn't make sense. Certainly didn't make sense to the evil forces whom Paul calls in verse 8 the rulers of this age. If they'd only known what they were doing when they crucified the Lord of glory, when they nailed Jesus to the cross, if they only knew what they were doing, they thought they were finally annihilating him when in fact they were releasing him, giving him the chance to redeem mankind. And that, you see, is the ground of our hope. Verse 6. We speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what is that wisdom? What is that secret? Well, in a sense, it's inexpressible. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. So the Holy Spirit opens up the hope of the gospel. And what is the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is that a man who hung on the cross, who died, and in the world's terms was finished, actually came back to life. That's the ground of our hope. Resurrection. That is the incredible vault fast that the gospel gives us. Death is the end. No, it isn't. Resurrection is the hope that we have. Evil did its worst, and it wasn't enough. 
The man they thought they'd killed passed through the gates of death and returned to live again. And it's Christ's resurrection that gives us our hope, a hope so incredible, so glorious, that there aren't words enough to express it. And you know, even believers get muddled about the nature of the Christian hope. Bland phrases like life after death, or even the word heaven, come nowhere near the reality of what lies before you and me. People, even believing Christians, think that the Bible promises some kind of souped-up version of the existence we have here and now. But our hope is infinitely better than that, infinitely beyond that. No eye has seen, no ears heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The Christian hope is not a further installment of the here and now. Oh, I love living in Linfield, apart from the stand-up inn. I love living in Linfield. Actually, they've been very good over the last few weeks. But I don't want to live here for eternity. I want something better. And God has something better in store. What is it, Lord? Well, actually, actually, your mind is too small to even to conceive it because it's so wonderful. But it's all encompassed in that word resurrection. The Christian hope is about resurrection. If we had time to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul unpacks it there. He says, when you plant something, what comes up is nothing like what you plant. And it's like that with the resurrection of the body. We get rid of this body, but we have a completely new body. And it's a real body. So we will know who we are. We will still be who we are. But you can't parallel that existence with the existence we have now because it goes beyond human understanding. It's a totally new, transformed existence made possible because Jesus smashed death into smithereens. And as we put our faith in him, we can share that victory. So... This is the conclusion of the matter. As you look into the future and your knees knock together, get down on your knees so you don't have to have them knocking together because today is the only day that really matters. And today God says, I am with you and I will never leave you. And as far as tomorrow is concerned, he has it in store. What has he in store? Something so wonderful you couldn't even conceive it. Just trust him that one day, one day, he will bring you into his presence because he is the one who will present you in his presence with great joy to his glory.